one of the big problems with arena or i guess one of the other problems with arena is that it's just ladder games like mm-hmm. that nothing matters yeah and and it cannibalizes all of the the online play right so yeah. these tournaments for magic online are super duper small mm-hmm. like if you look at 32nd place they went two and four or maybe one and five yeah <laughs> like and that's 32nd place there yep. can't be more than like 50 people in the tournament guess i should be playing these challenges probably the standard ones yeah <laughs> it's just like free money it's all grinders i believe mm-hmm. so not free free money but it's definitely i think a way better use of time than playing ladder. well like prizes still go down to top 32 right like there's minimum prizes so you know as long as you don't just like zero x then it's way easier to get decks and you don't have to play a thousand matches of ladder and like not really glean anything from it yeah I mean, I definitely should be doing that, but playing like a Saturday event or a Sunday event on Moto is not ideal. Like if I could fire one just like whenever, then then yeah, I'd love to. But just like use up a whole weekend day doing that is not my favorite thing. Like a daily event would be sick, but yes, like I'd, I would like, yeah, manage my schedule around dailies a little bit around dailies yeah i used to do that in college it was sick yeah like just to get one or two of them in a week but it's just and because like the time of the challenges right like standard challenge is like 9 a.m on saturday right something like that i thought it was 10 but yeah it's it's not that different 9 or 10 so that's like my time that i actually get stuff done the sunday challenge is like fine that's 5 p.m but then like you're like still playing magic at like 10 at night so yeah and it's time to go to like get ready for work and stuff yeah so i mean i wish that one was way earlier than 5 p.m i i would love one that starts like middle of the afternoon after nap time like two o'clock well it's just like i don't get things done in the evenings generally like i have to get things done during the morning so a tournament that starts at 9 or 10 a.m just like screws up my whole day pretty much I don't have any other pre-game banter. Nothing no fun jokes. going on. At Nothing home. I prepared. <laughs> That's oh, how sure. I like to get the show going. You know, start with something I've thought about all week and just yes. want to share. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 221 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Rapple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee! Hi Chris. Lee, since you are a dedicated Magic the Gathering podcast host, I assume you've put about like 40 hours of standard play in to really get up to date on the new format. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. As a matter of fact, I am extremely dedicated to my craft. I've actually spent a lot of time not doing that. Mm, Okay, interesting. (laughs) See, the problem is that it's arena. I I just Mm -hmm. can't. I just can't play arena. Yep. I've mostly just been looking over results given to us by Magic Online and like Hoogland tournament. And there's Crokey's at a tournament as well. These release Mm -hmm. tournaments, by the way, really good. For yeah. just like hype. Yeah. Even if you can't take the deck lists like 
the same level of prestige you could like any any tournament with like an equivalent amount of people that were actually trying to play in the event i think right. a lot of the draw of these is just like you're playing in a big streamers event like you can't take those deck lists at that kind of level but it's still nice to see all the ideas and people are trying out cards and all that stuff i i mean i'm really glad they're doing them the tournaments are super cool i do not understand how like watsi has never come up with an analog for this sort of thing well if you remember they did this promotion where you could just play the set and watch your favorite streamers do it like the day before the set came out yes and uh they just ended that abruptly for no real reason that we were given and never once did this kind of public outreach deal yeah i mean the i I can kind of understand ending the like you know whatever it was called the preview the streamer showcase streamer streamer showcase yeah i can kind of understand it if they just like didn't think it was doing what it meant what it was meant to do and it honestly was like kind of frustrating for me to like watch I, people play with the cards and not be able to play with them so i, I, I almost never watched them i just thought it was you're also playing against such a, a narrow pool of people mm-hmm. and everyone's trying out like only best of one new cards right so like you never get those moments where someone just rolls up with modern red because they don't have the cards yet and just crushes you yeah right i never was like super into those but like release weekend tournaments are clearly super cool and people love them and it is crazy that it's taken like streamers to come up with the idea and watsi is just not interested in like making that a thing yeah they can at least sponsor these people but whatever yeah i don't know whatever they're they're good i'm glad they exist they are very useful for like getting cards and giving people a reason to play the cards Mm -hmm. which is a lot better than like grinding out ladder games on arena yes there's a lot more prestige or like it's more fulfilling yeah and it's just more of a real test because as you go through the tournament and are doing well you play against people who also have been doing well instead of just like whoever you get matched up with on ladder so it it selects for at least like prepared people who are playing pretty well and their decks function if nothing else yeah i mean theoretically that's how ladder is supposed to work it's just that the number of games is very burdensome yeah the noise is just like so enormous and you know i logged on to play like i i knew you weren't gonna be playing very much so i made up for that by (laughs) (laughs) spending most of today playing and you know just like grinding up through platinum and diamond again like i have to do every single month to get any most of the games that i played were at least against like decks that looked pretty real Although the mono white deck that game one cast like two portable holes, two brutal cathars and a skyclave apparition was pretty out there. And then the like blue red decks that have smoldering egg, gold span dragon, leer and the seven, eight in them. It's just like, <laughs> how do you have the spells to go with these things? I don't I don't get it. So, you know, some of the decks don't seem quite there, but it just looks like a belcher deck. All their lands are just the flip lands. Yes. But, you know, I've been playing some ladder and I don't know exactly how representative it is, but putting that sort of like getting the feel for the format together with looking at all the lists from the weekend tournaments, I think should give us a pretty good idea of what's going on. I think just to like give the bird's eye view of how I'm interpreting what's going on in the format right now, Epiphany 
is not nearly as popular and not nearly as winning as it was before. And I think that there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, number one, the green deck and the white deck both got a very good one drop. And that's like fundamental changes to both decks. Yeah, Ascendant Pack Leader and Hopeful Initiate, I think yeah. their names are. Yep. The, the Initiate itself is like kind of crazy. It's really good. But as far as like changes to the deck, you know, because the mono white deck could already run some one drops. The green deck just didn't have any. So getting even a kind of medium good one drop is like a really big deal for the green deck. So so the aggro decks are beating down way harder. And that is bad news bears for the epiphany decks. Uh, we saw in, you know, if we're just going like day by day in the storyline, we saw the Saturday challenge was literally only monocolor aggro decks in like the yeah. entire top 16 pretty much yeah it was all mono green mono white and there's some like blue red decks snuck in there but barely yeah i think there were like two and then that just wasn't the case on sunday sunday was a big variety of decks including like a lot of mid-rangey stuff and when people are coming to the table playing all these one drops and aggressive decks then that just really encourages you to play a little bit of a mid-rangey game play some decks that wouldn't have fared very well in an epiphany heavy metagame but once epiphany starts getting pushed out by these one drop aggro decks that gives you some room to start beating up on them yeah i actually think that's a really good turn for this like metagame because mm -hmm. once you introduce mid-range decks back into it they'll start fighting against the the little decks and then the big decks can come out again yeah and then you have like actual continual change rather than well, the best thing to do is literally Faceless Haven or Epiphany. So right. those are your two options. Right. No, like this, and I, I don't know exactly where things will go, but this absolutely has the makings of a solid standard format with a bunch of decisions to make going into any particular tournament weekend. Like which part of the format is going to show up this weekend? What point in the metagame cycle are we at? Yeah. Do you want to talk, like go into like what decks are doing well? top eight wise tournament wise yeah sure i mean so we've got mono green and mono white both are completely acceptable i think on saturday mono white did really well because generally it dumpsters mono green and mono green was like beating all the epiphany and medium unprepared decks yeah the mono white decks in that tournament gravitated towards the top half of the field like we said the, the top 16 was very large majority monocolor decks and the white decks were by and large above the green decks yes Mono green, mono white, mono green, mono white, mono white. Is it control team or mid range? Mono white, mono white, mono white, mono white. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's the top eleven of that tournament. So pretty clear what the story is there. And, and for what it's worth, I uh, let me pull up a mono white deck list just so I have some comparison. But like the mono white deck didn't improve that much. It was already a strong deck, mm -hmm. but by basically cutting your terrible cards your suntail hawks whatever that card's called suntail raptor or uh battlefield raptor huh? battlefield raptor thank you yeah. I, I know it's a one-two flyer <laughs> or the the exile card from strixhaven that gets bigger whatever card gets exiled stonebinder familiar i think it's yeah called. that one's not that bad but no definitely it's... not as good as the new one drop yeah, that one can actually get really big if you go have the, the nut curve of that card into Sun Gold Sentinel into Elite Spellbinder. Then you're like, mm -hmm. you're really doing it. But if you don't have that, it, it, it can be kind of OP. 
I do think we had some card availability problems. Some of these, several of these mono white lists actually do Don't have not them. have hopeful initiates. They yeah. just have assorted one drops. So here's, uh, you know, fourth place still has Stonebinders Familiars. Fifth place has two Monk of the Open Hand and three Allenbach Escort, which is from the new set. It's a 1-1 Vigilance. You can sacrifice it to give target creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it, lifelink and indestructible until end of turn. Uh, yeah, that's probably not the intended card you want to have on there. No, I, I think you want hopeful initiate. But yeah, the, the, I, I do think what well, this is the Saturday challenge, right? So there were only three days to mm-hmm. get cards, and if you're playing with a rental service, which I imagine most people in Magic Online are at this point, uh, there's just not that much. There's not that many packs being open, not that many cards going around. Yeah. So there is gonna, always going to be some availability problems in the first, you know, week or so of the new set, especially if there's a some incredible multi-format chase rare like Teferi. Mm-hmm. Then it then that card gets incredibly expensive and hard to get. Yes. But so maybe even in the absence of hopeful initiate, one card that is easy to get is Thalia yeah, Guardian. Very Freeman. easy to get. Yeah. So. All of these mono white decks do have their copies of Thalia, and boy, that is just as punishing in standard for All Runs Epiphany to play against as it has been in other formats when you have a bunch of blue spells and cantripping and card drawing. So, yeah, one of the the changes I actually liked that we saw more on Saturday was is it decks went more towards creatures instead of like the the Galvanic iteration All Runs Epiphany combo type mm-hmm. of deal probably in part to combat at least a little bit of thalia because you can't be trying to cast Gavanic iteration when thalia is in play it's just it, it's so difficult <laughs> yes <laughs> so right you can't why... even do your like you know Gavanic iteration to copy like a foretold demon bolt like that still costs five <laughs> yeah. mana to do so yeah that is that is especially if the Gavanic iterations in the graveyard then you're like oh goodness yes but yeah, the the first place list in Sunday actually played four Holebreaker Horrors and zero Epiphanies at all, mm-hmm. just to, you know, if you can survive the early game, slam your Holebreaker Horror. Their battlefield's kind of irrelevant at that point if you can untap with it for sure. But even if you have like Consider or Fading Hope, you're going to live. You're probably going to crush them. Yeah, so I didn't spend any time playing this list because I gave uh, Kane's list a shot first. Yeah, and Kane came in seventh in the Sunday challenge, and he was playing, uh, and is it Hullbreaker Horror list splashing white for Valorous Stance only, uh, and Valorous Stance does some really nice things for the the Hullbreaker Horror version of the deck with no All Runs Epiphanies in it whatsoever. It kills a lot of important stuff in the format. So number one, it's a pretty good removal spell. Like it kills Adeline in a way that is efficient and good. It kills opposing Hullbreaker Horrors. That's very, very important. It kills all the dragons. It also protects your Hullbreaker Horrors from certain types of black removal. And in in the blue-black matchups, that can be pretty important. It does not protect your Hullbreaker Horrors, though, from Vanishing Verse, which is a card that has gotten way more popular post-new set. And so I'm not sure that the white is totally worth it because I, I don't know that the Valorous Dance is doing exactly what you want here. But, you know, there are some things I do really like about this list. I like the couple of uh, Celestis in there. This is still a Leer deck. Leer, Hullbreaker, Horror are your threats. 
I don't like his one galvanic iteration. I thought that was kind of nonsense. And yeah. uh, like the one Prismari command was kind of medium right now. But like generally, like most of this stuff is fine. You have to play a couple considers to go with your Hallbreaker Horror. I think that's really good and important. And it's better, you know, makes your leers that much better too. Um, but yeah, a lot of good stuff going on here. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't really watched a lot of standard going on. I've just mostly been digesting deck lists. But I've seen a lot of, you know, rumblings on Twitter that Holebreaker Horror is just kind of insane, mm-hmm. which is a weird claim to make for a seven mana creature in a format full of tiny aggro decks. Yeah, I mean, I was watching Arne's stream and he was talking to Chad and saying, like, you know, Holebreaker Horror is a little bit overrated right now. Like people are going a little too hard on that card. And I think after playing some of this format, I think it is you know, somewhere in the middle, like Hallbreaker Horror is good. It's certainly yes, good. It's don't quite get me good. wrong. Uh, and when I was playing against other blue decks with my Hallbreaker Horror focused blue deck, I felt really good. But when my opponents went one drop into Luminarch Aspirant and my hand was like a little bit clunky and I had a bunch of seven drops in my deck to draw. And, you know, I, I lost some games to that. I also lost games to... I need to get this Hullbreaker Horror in play to stabilize. Oh, they have a Valorous Dance. Like, and I had to spend all of my mana to get it into play. Like, that happens. It costs seven mana. Yeah, and these these decks are also red, mostly, I think, for Unexpected Windfall in order to, like, get out the Hullbreaker Horror as quickly as possible. That's why they're playing four. Yes. But if you're playing Unexpected Windfall against a Thalia deck, that's a five mana card right. to set up a creature, like, the following turn. That you mm-hmm. might not have time to actually do all that. Yeah. I, and I think in those matchups, like you want to lean really hard on Lear because Lear is still very, very yeah. good at doing that job. And Hullbreaker Horror is just doing, it's covering other bases. But I would like to see, I think in some of these decks, like the ability to side up an additional Lear or something like that. I also, so I think Kane's list was probably obviously good for Sunday. He top aided. I think now that people are a little bit more adjusted to Hullbreaker Horror and you can't just lean on that existing in your deck as how you beat other decks with islands in them because people are playing Vanishing Verse and other things that kill it. And so one weakness that I really found in his list is he didn't have any Malevolent Hermits in his sideboard at all. And then I started playing these blue matchups where my opponents had both Malevolent Hermits and Instant Speed Removal that killed my Hullbreaker Horror. And I I was just so far behind. Like, I like they played a Hermit. I couldn't draw my own. Like, at some point, all of their spells are uncounterable and they have ways to deal with my Hullbreaker Horror. I just had no way of going over the top or breaking through. Yeah, that it reminds me a little bit of like the Emrakul thing mm-hmm. where this creature is so integral to your deck as it's constructed right here that if your opponent has a good way to like get under you or, you know, survive after your thing hits play, mm-hmm. which it just didn't really happen for Emrakul, but you yeah, can for Holbrook. Because of the Mind Slaver, yes. Yeah, because of the Mind Slaver deal. But with Holbrook Horror, you can just resolve and then, like you said, you have to tap out for it because you're trying to hang on. They can just Valorant stance it, and the, you're probably just dead at that point. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have a lot going on after that. No, yeah, it, and and right, you just like we're really leaning on that. That's what the deck. If you are running 
unexpected windfall to cast Hullbreaker Horror. Like, you're pretty all in on your four Hullbreaker Horrors, and getting it killed is bad news. For that reason, I... And these are these decks are almost absent from both of these challenges, and as well as the, the other tournaments. But, like, blue-black decks, mm-hmm. for the most part, just aren't adopting Hullbreaker Horror. They're mostly... I don't know if it's a card availability thing, but... They're mostly still Sedgemore Witch and what have you. Yeah. Like Musasabi played just Sedgemore Witch and Lear. That's mm-hmm. it. And just spells. And I imagine you can still play Holebreaker Horror in that style of deck. And maybe you're just better at it than a blue-red deck because you don't have to commit so hard. Like you're not playing Unexpected Windfall, so you're not trying to dive in at first this Holebreaker Horror thing. Mm-hmm. And you're still just playing the normal blue-black stuff. So I think that's something that you could do. I think the problem is that you're not running, you don't have expressive iteration in blue black. That's true. Yeah. So you, it's harder to get the cardboard to cast a seven mana spell in a timely way. You do have thirst for discovery now. Is that what the card's called? Yeah, or siphon insight. You have like some ways of of collecting card, but none of them are as efficient as expressive. Right, iteration. of course, because that card's insane. <laughs> and I, I think it becomes really hard. If you do want to run Sedgemore Witch, I think it's pretty tough to have Sedgemore Witch and Hullbreaker Horror and enough answers and enough card advantage in your deck. That's a that's a really tough formula to crack. Well, couldn't you? I don't. Th- I wasn't like suggesting the the play set Hullbreaker Horrors. I was more thinking mm-hmm. like a, a two pearl like ancient kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. Or as a sideboard card or something like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I could definitely see that. Uh, especially if like part of your sideboard plan is also like bringing in an additional card draw spell or two you know that it is not uncommon to have a memory delusion a sideboard yeah that's fair the blue black itself by the way uh since i've mentioned it i we liked it in the last format especially after the invitational with all those people doing really well with it mm-hmm. but almost completely absent from these challenges yeah i think it probably is so like it was completely absent from magic online results for the entirety of last season too and then it was very good at the invitational i think it's a deck that requires being built properly because there's a lot of different ingredients that can go into it and it has to be right for what you play against but i do think that a form of it can be totally acceptable right now the black removal kills hullbreaker horror dead at instant speed i think that's really good and, you, you know, you don't have expressive iteration, but you do have pretty good card drawing. You do have quite good removal. I guess not having Spike Field Hazard is a pain against opposing a Malevolent Hermits. But, you know, you get around that. And I, I, as long as Sedgemore, which is good, which I think it is pretty good still right now, then I, I think that the deck can be fine. I, I have faith that if it is good, we will see it on Magical Line because... Uh, this wasn't a true blue black deck, but Batu Tenha just played Esper in standard. Like mm-hmm. it, it was basically blue black with vanishing verse. That's what he liked to play. Yes, yeah. And I was gonna mention that too. Blue black splash vanishing verse is a, a solid place to be too. Vanishing verse is really really good right now. Why is that? Just because you're all monocolor decks and ball breaker horror yeah like it it splits the baby and is like a fine card against the aggro decks because it's just terminate plus that is like even better against old growth troll and then it is quite good in the mirrors where hullbreaker horror is supposed to be the breaker and it just stops that and then you know with epiphany getting pushed out 
you can play these goofy blood on the snow decks and not feel like a complete idiot like you can win some matches with it and vanishing first was always about the best possible card against those decks because you exile a planeswalker what are they gonna get back with blood on the snow yeah so can i can i while we're talking about blood on the snow can i bring up this silly deck i found from groki's tournament it actually won the tournament so maybe i shouldn't call it silly yeah it can't be that silly it's uh it was the orzhov blood on the snow deck uh like with nino so first place and i'll just read the deck list real quick i did link it in our like little show notes uh, but it's four eye twitch four shambling ghast four professor of symbology uh, which goes and grabs environmental science confront the past and mascot exhibition oh and necrotic fumes which is like a downside hero's downfall essentially two fell stinger and then four Edgar charmed groom. <laughs> I feel like the Felstinger Edgar numbers are probably not like totally Swapped, correct yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I one thing I actually really like about the inclusion of Edgar in this deck is that you're not like trying to get ahead of anything. You're not playing vampires. Edgar is literally the only vampire in the entire deck. But it's just kind of four creatures over four turns. You can just sacrifice all your stuff. Yeah. And it always comes back. Yes. It is quite expensive though but i guess it's like a nice blood on the snow wait no you can't get edgar back with blood on the snow because he's a coffin yeah he you can almost never get edgar back you'd have to have already have one in your graveyard and one in play you can discard one to learn i guess if you really want to have an efficient blood on the snow turn yeah i think i think you're right in the the felstinger analysis you should definitely play just more felstingers in this deck and fewer edgars because that's a you know a four drop legendary creature that never dies so yeah. maybe not a card you want a four of especially with zero vampires in your decks so you're not even like getting the effect really when you play it yeah i mean this this is not that different from the like mono black blood on the snow decks that we were goofing around with before epiphany kind of shut the door on that possibility last format you know sacrifice stuff the one drops and then once you add white you do get professor symbology vanishing verse and now some number of edgars whichever number is correct being a meat hook massacre deck against these mono white decks is a really really nice place to be yeah i i think so too especially i actually really like wolf Mm -hmm. and just in general i guess i i I've respected that card in these kind of synergy decks. It's really strong yeah. at, at doing what your deck wants to do while just giving you a ton of bodies that once you throw away, you can make more bodies. Yes. And I guess like the more random tokens, you know, if you've got Edgar just making vampires, like those are putting counters onto your Loth and making it easier to like make more spiders again. Yeah, I should give this deck a shot. This is my kind of bad. deck. Yeah, it looks kind of neat. I, I don't think... Like, you know, this is a pristine version. There, no. For instance, there's two mascot exhibitions on the sideboard, which seems so unnecessary to me. But, I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe you just actually want the creature fodder. I think at seven because mana. there's... Yeah, I don't know. That may be I, There's definitely some iterations that can be performed in this deck. Like, maybe you could play fourth vanishing first. That sort of deal. Yes. I think you definitely want the fourth vanishing verse. Like, almost certainly. You also probably want... I guess there's two crippling fears on the sideboard. I, I was saying you probably want the fourth mascot or the fourth meat hook massacre in the sideboard too, but I guess two crippling fears add that to meat hook massacres and then you have your blood on the snows to clean up. Uh, but you generally do need a cheap sweeper before the blood on the snow in the aggro matchups. So 
two mascot exhibition is kind of like a we're playing grindy mid-range mirrors like i'm gonna play against another blood on the snow deck or something is the only times that i think that that is correct which it might be it might especially for this tournament it might have been but i don't know for the tur- the format at large i i will say yeah just clicking on crookie's link to his tournament mm-hmm. uh the top i don't know just eyeballing it here top 12 has like eight mono white decks on it yeah well you don't need the two mascot exhibitions for those matchups you just need to <laughs> you do need the meat hook massacres <laughs> yes you do need the meat hook massacres meat hook massacre is so crazy in those matchups it kills all of their stuff and then gains you five life and then over the course of the game it gains you 10 more life and kills them yeah i Every time I see that card and it's good, it's like, oh, oh this card is just crazy. Yes. <laughs> Cannot believe. I mean, it is a hefty price tag. I've wanted to play with the card for a little bit now. But <laughs> I've got to slip it into some cubes because that's a that's a deck I can get behind. Just sacrifice stuff. That's why I like the first place deck a lot. No, this is a cool deck. Last format, I really did love playing Blood on the Snow until I was not allowed to do that anymore. And so I definitely will give this a shot. Kind of similarly in the black-white mid-rangey board-controlling plan, I have played some of the Clerics deck that has popped up. The deck is really, really fun. Do you want to... I've got a deck list in front of me. I've also looked at not just one or two Clerics deck lists, but probably like five or six. (laughs) (laughs) It's not an unpopular deck. Right, and there's a few different varieties and card choices and stuff so but i think people mostly have not heard of this deck at all especially Mm -hmm. if they're just used to last standards kind of trifecta yeah so this is a oh wow is this list this list doesn't have pyre of heroes in it which list are you looking at the 12th place list it does have it has pyre of heroes wizard 2002 it's right there at the bottom i just control f'd on my page and there's no pyre of heroes here What's your, who's the are there two cleric decks in 12th place am i going to be embarrassed here uh this is the oh okay so okay this is actually kind of funny uh the he got 12th place in both events okay <laughs> and on saturday did have fire of heroes and on but sunday, on sunday did, not. did not okay <laughs> so cut them in between the challenges interesting it looks like he put cleric uh he put voice of the blessed in in its place is the main difference between these lists yeah this is a righteous valkyrie which i oh it's it's yeah, no righteous game. valkyrie is really important that's how you win a lot of yeah. your games so yeah, i mean it's just a double anthem core of this deck is it's life gain based uh so you like can't not have this core which is lunark veteran that is the one drop with Disturb that's like a Soul Warden for your side and comes back as a 1-1 flyer. Uh, cleric of Life's Bond. This is white-black for a 2-2. Whenever another Cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. When you gain life for the first time each turn, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Some number of Luminarch Aspirants. Uh, elite Spellbinders. Righteous Valkyrie. This is from Kaldheim. This is a 3-mana 2-4 flyer. Whenever another Angel or Cleric enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. As long as you're at least 27, all your creatures get plus 2, plus 2. And then the the thing that ties the room together is Aura Skyclave Hierophant, which is a scrap trawler for Clerics. 
Oh, it's oh, but it's way better than Scrapshaller because the creature goes straight to the battlefield. Oh yes, it goes. It does go straight to the battlefield. Also, this it is a three three lifelink. Playing this deck against the creature decks, it is, you know, if you can just put your creatures into play, they are so helpless. And and especially like once you get out the double double righteous Valkyrie, like over the course of a turn cycle, you go from like 15 life to like 54 life. And it's just really, you know, I guess we're done here. And I actually really like Voice of the Blessed in Mr. Wizard's 2002's uh, second challenge, 12th place. Mm hmm. Because that card gets real big, real fast in this kind of deck. It does, yeah. I I have liked Pyre of Heroes, but that might just be because it's like really fun and fiddly, uh, and I think you just don't need it. And he did like he cut all of the goofy stuff from the deck that Pyre of Heroes like encourages you to the, do. The Blade Historian, the Drana, the Valkyrie Harbinger. Yeah, and let me tell you, you draw those cards all the time playing that garbage. version. I cut them all except for one five drop, and I just kept drawing the one five drop in my opening hand, and it's just like, what am I doing? This is awful. I I enjoy cutting Pyre of Heroes in the Cleric deck, though it is cute, mm -hmm. uh, mostly because it's just so clunky and expensive. And you have that you introduce that variance of like, yeah, I drew drawn in this game. Drawn is right. not a card I would put in my deck. Nope. Yes. And he had two in the original version of the deck, <laughs> which uh, the second one left the deck very quickly as I was playing it. Yeah, I think. And also, like, you know, this is a black white deck. You don't have expressive iteration. You don't have consider. You don't have any way of fixing your draws. You just have 23 lands and two double face lands. And you're just hoping to draw about the right number. And Pyre of Heroes is just one of those cards that's like, this is another, essentially, a four drop in your deck. And when you're stuck on three lands and you, like, draw two Pyre of Heroes, it's just like, what am I doing with my... Like, that kept happening over and over and over again. And if it were, like, anything else, I, I would have been pretty happy. But on the other hand, like, Pyre did win me a, a, several games that just kind of no other magic card could have, so... Yeah, and I think it combos with Aura really, mm -hmm. really well. Yeah, like once you have those two at play, that's that's the Splinter Twin. I think that Pyre would become an auto include if there were actually a five to get that was good. Like Jana is or if so... it were cheaper to activate, honestly. Like oh, yeah, pot. for sure. But like Jana is so close, but she needs to attack to do anything. If there were just like a Phyrexian Delver type thing or, a you know, a, some, a five which, mana which thing. Which one that... is Phyrexian Delver? Is that their... The it's the one ETB that ETB reanimates. Something? Like, what you really want is an ETB reanimate thing at five to get, just to, like, keep you going. Ultimately, like, Pyre isn't doing, like, busted enough stuff, so I can definitely see cutting it. And and just to, like, be clear, this is not really a new deck. This deck existed and just wasn't good enough, but the format has shifted in what you're allowed to do so drastically that, you know, you can get 12th place in a challenge with this. Twice. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not the most ringing endorsement possible of a deck. We're not trying to 12th place challenges, but, you know, it's playable I, as opposed to unplayable. With that kind of consistency, if Wizard 2002 could just 12th place every tournament, I'm sure <laughs> like you'd take that and just start playing at Pro Tours and such. Well, how would you ever qualify? You got to spike something. Oh, you're right. 
I don't know how the SCG satellites work. Can you get points for those? <laughs> Do you have to spike one? I think you have to spike to get a qualification. So all right, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, sorry, wizard. Pretty tough. Twelfth place master. <laughs> <clears throat> Similarly, like you pointed out, this Jund deck that also just straight up existed pre Crimson Vow, but was tough to justify. Various prosperous innkeeper decks are mostly tough to justify unless you have some specific stuff going on, like Depraz Teamer deck. But this is just a bunch of good cards. You get your dragons out a little bit faster. You have some stuff for your Immersturm Predator to eat. And if your opponent is running the wrong types of removal, then you can get them. Immersturm Predator is indestructible, and the main piece of exile removal in this format doesn't hit it. So there's some stuff going on here. Yeah, this is another Dispersant Sentinel Magda deck. Mm -hmm. I was always a little confused why these decks played Prosperous Innkeeper rather than Clane, which is the like red-black gold card that makes a treasure, like Prosperous Innkeeper, but then it like pumps your creatures that you spend treasure mana on. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, not like I think that it's a, a clean swap or anything, because the mana costs are quite different, but... I'm looking at the deck and it's just all like, you know, four Magda, three Florian, which is a red black card, four Emerson Predator, four Goldspin, and Olivia, three Infernal. There's just like so many red black symbols in this yeah. deck that I'm like, isn't the pumping ability of Clane going to be more powerful than the like incidental life gain on your innkeeper? Maybe, but maybe the life gain is just important enough in the aggro matchups where it, it ends up being worth, you know, because it. The innkeeper doesn't leave play, so then it ends up being worth three, four, or five life over the course of a game. Okay, I, I could see that, but it kind of have to weigh against like having bigger creatures in play too, right? Yeah. That also. Oh helps yeah, yeah. That also card. helps for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't played this deck at all, so I can't really provide the explanation. You know, the four haunt haunted ridges are an indication that maybe you kind of want to keep your black red spells to three mana plus. But I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. And the I, the teamer deck is back too, which is mostly like the Pros teamer deck. Uh, that's another Jaspara Sentinel, mm -hmm. Prosperous Innkeeper, uh, Magda Goldspan Dragon deck with just some counter spells as your blue cards. I don't think it has any other blue cards. Let me try to find a, a deck list. Yeah, this this list I'm looking at just has some negates in the main deck and Test of Talents and uh, Disdainful Strokes in the sideboard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty normal. Yeah, I was just gonna say like the, the teamer deck didn't really get any huge upgrades from uh, Crimson Val. I don't think there's any Crimson Val cards in this uh, seventh place list by Mogged at all, actually. Yeah, oh, I can't flame blessed bolt. Sure. So like a, a, an upgrade to kind of like I don't know, play with fire. <laughs> an upgrade to play with fire, a like side grade to spike field hazard, like. You know, it it doesn't fundamentally change anything. Yeah, no, it's just a shock. Yeah. Uh, the one other prosperous innkeeper use that I saw that I actually really liked, I don't know if it gets there. It like the deck ultimately like wasn't able to grind versus my mid rangey clerics just like engine <laughs> deck that I was playing, but uh, prosperous innkeeper into Henrika Damnathi. Is that the 1-3 flip card? Yeah. So this is the 2 black black 1-3 vampire flying. At the beginning of combat on your turn, choose one that hasn't been chosen. 
Each player sacrifices a creature, you draw a card and you lose one life or transform her and then she transforms into a 3-4 lifelink with a 3-4 flying death touch lifelink with like a pump ability. A very expensive pump ability. Yeah, so it's mostly a, a big vampire nighthawk, but she can also like do an edict thing or do an innocent blood thing and draw a card along the way and turboing her out with an with a prosperous innkeeper gives you a thing to sacrifice to the sacrifice effect and then you know she can draw a card and then become a three four so the rest of the deck you know it was just like a bunch of green and black stuff binding the old gods and stuff like that the rest of the deck i was not super impressed with but the curve of prosperous innkeeper into henrika damnathi it like got me really hard and i was like oh wow if my opponent keeps playing interactions like that over the course of the game they're going to dumpster me but then they just played like magic cards maybe okay so it's got to be black and green so you have access to both of those cards but or is there like black a and red because you could go Kalein. you could Kalein. yeah well, black and if you go black and red you can maybe look at like other vampire stuff mm-hmm. i don't know if there's enough of that in the set but there's a lot of cards in black and red and crimson Vale that just produce material you can put on the battlefield yeah well and, and that's a yeah. And one other thing, too, is vampires may actually be the preferable tribe for Pyre of Heroes. There's, like, a lot of vampires that give you some value coming in or going out, and then going up the chain, they get really strong. And Immersturm Predator is a vampire. Yeah, which is wild to me, because yeah. Immersturm was the demon plane on Kaldheim. Well, it's a and vampire it's... dragon, right? That's, yeah, it's that's not a... a demon at all. It's a vampire dragon. So, you know, I'm... Potentially into chaining vampires up to Immersturm Predator or Henrika Damnathi, like I-, I could see that being a way to do this black red mid rangey thing too. I'm I'm looking up uh, five mana vampires right now. Oh, I don't because I want to try to go to Olivia, <laughs> which is a six. Oh, okay, drop. fair enough, fair enough. And the only one that's remotely playable is Drana, and I'm still not into Drana. Yeah, that's not really what I'm about. So, oh, well, you're probably going to have to table Olivia Crimson Bride, but <laughs> it is interesting if you can build like a red black. I don't know if I want to be Pyre of Heroes, but sure. If there's enough you can do with material, because vampires do do a lot of that stuff. Like just it puts so much things on the battlefield between blood tokens and just treasure. There's a lot of you can do in red and black that yeah gives you material to work with. And honestly, maybe you just slam blood or goldspan dragons in there anyway. Yeah, hard not to do that. Uh, probably, probably you do, and you are not pyre of heroes. You're not that tribal. Yeah. I mean, Kalane is a human elf bard, not a vampire. So you know, there's that. That's not giving you too much help there. I don't know. There's some stuff to brew around with. You gotta have a some sort of plan against the the aggressive decks. If you're just a mid range deck. And then the whole breaker horror stuff. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how. We, we shouldn't be like live brewing a deck on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, but I, this I wonder. This is just something to think about. You know, like the the sacrifice core, the like shambling ghast deadly dispute, like chain up, is very powerful against the aggressive decks and like gets you to a mid game where you're casting really powerful stuff super quickly while also blocking. So some amount of that could potentially get make its way into this. And I don't know. There's probably something here. I do love the Kalein into Henrika or Immerstrom Predator hands that you can get. So 
So we're done. We're done brewing. We're done. What's, uh, what's next on the the standard observations list? So I guess the question is like, where are we going from here? What's the way to address this format? You know, you can keep playing the same stuff. You can keep playing the aggro decks with the addition of the one drop, or you can try to beat what's going on. I mean, I think a well-built adaptive like responsive to the metagame version of a Hullbreaker horror deck is probably pretty good. And it it is tough to get away from at least expressive iteration, if not windfall, if you're doing Hullbreaker horror. But people are definitely addressing the like red removal suite pretty hard. And Hullbreaker right. horror in particular just doesn't die to the red cards. So it does make a lot of sense to me to be a vanishing verse deck of some sort. And there are a lot of vanishing verse decks out there. And that has made the multicolored threats that much better. I had somebody cast Galazeth Prismari against me in a match <laughs> today. And I was just like, oh crap, I just lose. Like I just couldn't beat it. I have vanishing verse in my hand and then they just like crushed me. Attacked you for three several times. <laughs> well, they got an extra mana out of it. They were able to do things with that mana that an Izzet deck, you know, they're an expressive iteration memory deluge deck. They got a free mana and then they just like ran over me eventually. Classic expressive iteration stuff. Mm -hmm. That card is uh, to tangent a little bit. It, it clicked for me that that card was kind of messed up when I just cast it in cube. Mm -hmm. And it was like, my opponent was like, wait, it does what? <laughs> <laughs> and then a, a lot of games in modern I play are often decided by how many expressive variations people drew and when. It's so heartbreaking when you like have both kind of mostly run out of cards and then somebody just top decks expressive iteration. You just don't it's feel so like cheap. you could possibly win. Right, because you get to play the good thing that turn. And then you got something else out of it too. Like, ugh, woof. It, it feels a lot like a late game preordain or ponder. Right. Like you get two cards out of it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yes. I I remember, right, in standard, just like so many games would just be like, I hope they don't have anything this turn. And then they cast preordain and you're just like, well, I guess you got me probably. This and, The odds for me are low getting out of this one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, an iteration just gives you the other card too. Like it, uh, preordain is just somehow better than drawing the exact card they got off preordain because mm -hmm. they didn't. They like got to unbrick their next draw step. Yes. Oh yeah. So one other thing that I think is potentially pretty good, especially if we are worrying less about Epiphany, uh, I have been kind of impressed with the green white decks, particularly Katilda Dawnheart Prime. It's just a terrifying card every time it comes down. You're just like, oh, what do I do against that? Because like a lot of the good cards do just happen to be humans. I need to... Can you give me an example of this deck? Because I don't think I've seen... I have seen Katilda in lists, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure exactly what you're referencing. Other than like Katilda and a Innkeeper or whatever. I don't even think Innkeeper's a human. It is not a human, which is... I think this, like, the, the Greenwood decks would be really good if Innkeeper were a human. But I don't know. Like, here's a 14th place deck in, what is this, the Saturday Challenge. This is not quite what I've been, like, really impressed by. It's not quite as humans heavy as the ones that have really impressed me. The ones that 
have really struck me are ones that are closer to like what Harlan was playing at the Invitational that have Luminarch Aspirant in particular mm-hmm. as just yeah. a really good human to drop. And then at some point you get a ton of mana and you're able to pump that into either like just Catilda's ability or you can play like an intrepid adversary for a million and and to then smash them next turn or you know just like a lot of stuff i think that probably the version of it that is good is not a like yasharn renin seven deck like this i think it's probably more creaturey but what do you think about like starnheim unleashed which is what this person's playing to kind of go over the top i kind of don't hate it i'd have to think about it more because i literally haven't thought about that card since it was spoiled and we decided that it probably wasn't very good if you're more human heavy than this deck is like i i honestly think this deck just plays it as a format on sarah angel a lot of the time yes. <laughs> but if you're more human heavy you can start foretelling it and like actually getting pumping out a decent number of angels from it yeah if you're just like playing the full set of katildas and stuff then and just like actually making mana i'd yeah because you don't often get to rumble with like your luminar gasperance if you're putting counters on other stuff you always have like extra mana to pump out cards sure yeah i'd kind of be into that and i would really be into also just like you know i like the forum areas call in that deck too i think that yeah, that's, that's a nice fair. thing to have i don't know maybe you could play training or what's it called hopeful initiate mm-hmm. it, it just does really it's a human one drop human and yeah. it does really well with like uh luminar gasperance because it just kills any Kasika's chariot or whatever on site. Which, I mean, it isn't great, but it's free value. Right. And if you have the mana to do it. I, I Yeah, I kind of well, like that. The idea is you'll have the mana. Cause right. Because you have to get to Yes. <laughs> that, that's what I mean, is you you should have the mana to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I am pretty into that. Just like a more, a version that has more early drops because those are both good for laying out aggression and also the more creatures you have in play when you cast katilda the better it is so i i also realize we've just been saying katilda but i mean specifically katilda dawnheart prime because there's a different katilda oh yeah midnight fell not spirit <laughs> and crimson. enchantment katilda human katilda. yeah human katilda <laughs> <laughs> the the one that like has some possible implications in constructed magic and not just yeah 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 ruining draft games well there's a lot of rares in this format that does that so yeah i'm a little bummed about this format i haven't really been enjoying it so far yeah it doesn't i haven't heard any good reviews of it the couple games i've watched have been like honestly a little entertaining for me but <laughs> yeah because they're fun. like mostly train wrecks one way or the other yeah, they're all 100 percent train wrecks <laughs> yeah like the drafting part of it is it is often like kind of fun and interesting because you do feel like you're putting something together but multiple times I've had a deck that like felt like I had put something together and it just completely either didn't function or my opponent played a turn four. What is it like Halana and Elena, the, the green red legend. Oh, the green red rare. Yeah. Which is just like the most unbeatable thing I've ever seen. It, it makes things big, gives them haste and then shoots things, I think. It, I don't but I don't remember the exact text on it. Halana and Elena partners two red green two three first strike reach. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put X plus one plus one counters on another target creature you control where X is Halana and Elena's power. That creature gains haste until end of turn. It just yeah, like I was, I was thinking of the reach ability because you couldn't like effectively close the door if you're ahead. Yeah. Flyers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this card is just about the least beatable rare that I've ever seen in limited. Every time my opponent casts it against me, 
you know, one time my opponent got just like two triggers off of it and then I did manage to kill it, but those triggers are so good because of like it enabled training attacks that my opponent wouldn't have been able to do otherwise and they just kind of snowballed really hard from there. I, I I don't really understand a lot of the decisions that went into the limited design of this set. Speaking of training, I wonder how good... Maybe Yeah, I think you're... Oh, sorry, I was going back to the humans deck because there's a mentor of the meek that whenever you cast a creature, you get a, a human token with training. That's a green-white rare. Don't remember the name of it. It's a legendary creature. But there's just so many good three drops that are humans, like between <laughs> Briarbridge, Tracker, Brutal and Elite Spellfinder that I just don't know if you have room. <laughs> yes. It's like Torin's Fist of the Angels or something. I was putting it in some uh, cubes earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Three mana, two, two training. Whenever you cast a creature spell, create a one, one green and white human creature, human soldier creature token with training. Yeah. A little monastery mentor for all creature decks. That's that is kind of cool. They are human tokens. That's kind of hot. It is three mana, which is, you know, the the bad place yeah. for mana costs. But that's the pressure point. Like if this were to wear three, three, I think you could start like maybe putting it in some deck lists. But uh, at a two, two casting it and having it die to the magma spray is not an ideal spot to be in. He's the fist of angels. How can he how can he die to a flame blessed bolt? Come on. That's fair. But, you know. I guess everybody dies to the flame bliss bolt. And it is a lot harder to trigger this guy the turn you cast it than Monastery Mentor. (laughs) You can't just play a Mishra's Bubble or whatever. Yeah, or like a Mox into a Ponder. Now now you're asking for the world. (laughs) Yes, that's, that's, you know, only certain formats does that happen in. You're restricted Monastery Mentor. (laughs) There's a reason that Monastery Mentor is restricted in Vintage. Not a lot of creatures on the restricted list monastery mentor is one of them i think it's the only white card on the restricted list or i guess balance, balance. Is restricted. yeah although balance probably possibly could be unrestricted i'm not gonna i'm not <laughs> gonna go out on that limb i don't i don't i just have no idea yeah you probably could build a deck around it probably be pretty good and now that we've brewed two like random decks anything else you want to <laughs> <laughs> well i mean we're a week into the format what do you want us to do like that's that's the I, fun. yeah uh, that's honestly i was a little disappointed with the first couple of results because there just weren't a lot of brews and maybe that's something i can blame faceless haven on right like the card is so strong that it just gravitates people towards playing monocolored decks which are also quite good and i think it's also a thing that you can blame card availability on magic online of a new set on like sure it, it is difficult like a bunch of these white creature decks just aren't running the the clearly best one drop in the format it's just not there but thankfully they could get thalia's and that allowed them to completely dominate this tournament thalia's a good magic card it's a really good magic card i don't remember playing a lot of thalia in standard the first time she was legal but people had to have played her i just don't remember it we have to have because delver was really good like right and so was snapcaster mage like that was the best card in standard yeah i just i just actually don't remember that card very much in the original standard i, I don't really either it, i wasn't playing the thalia type decks in that format like with innistrad i was either like casting on burial rights or casting snapcaster mage like that's what i was doing i i was also doing that mostly on the uh on burial rights side of history <laughs> it, it's the the fun side of history to be fair i mean that the the absent deck 
was very good for mm-hmm. quite a good period of time. The period of standard where like one of the best things to be doing was just making a Thrag Tusk every turn for the entire <laughs> game starting on turn four. Maybe not the best standard like thing for standard to be designed around, but I really enjoyed it. It was really funny. I man, that card is a templating nightmare. <laughs> I just hate that you can bounce it or restoration angel it and you just get a token. Yep. It was like really tough to deal with in that standard format. There's no call for that sort of nonsense <laughs> templating. Just you wouldn't you wouldn't want somebody to not get their three three beast. No, that is what I want. I don't want that, though. I want to get my 3-3 beast, no matter what. No matter how this thing leaves the battlefield. Okay. You're going to have to make it lose all abilities first. Well, that's what happens, I guess. (laughs) Turn and burn it. Hell yeah. (laughs) Really felt like I spent my 5 mana on something worthwhile. All right, so I guess I'm just going to list some individual cards that I think are really powerful and worth, like doing things with in this format they're the obvious ones like expressive iteration but stuff that i am interested in are multicolored threats because i think vanishing verse is quite good and a a catch-all answer that a lot of people are running so multicolored threats get a little bit better i think that do you have like any in mind i mean the one that i'm leaning towards trying some stuff with right now is immersion predator because i just Mostly because we started brewing the thing that I want to do with it. So I want to give that a shot. But I do think that Immerstorm Predator in particular is really tough to deal with right now. So, you know, Mono White has Apparition and Brutal Cathar. But you just need a different plan against Mono White. One of the other cards that I think is really, really, really good right now is Meat Hook Massacre. So if you can make that work in your deck, I think Meat Hook Massacre is just phenomenal. The Rakdos Brew will definitely be sideboarding some copies of that for sure. Yeah, I I think a, a long way the Immerstrom Predator decks have to go is just if you're not great against the white Brutal Cathars, you can play, you know, Meat Hook Massacre. <laughs> you can just have like four of them in your 75 and you can draw them in large numbers and it's good. I'm just like kind of scrolling through multicolored creatures in standard. There's mm-hmm. Coma, which I guess is it's kind of its own thing. It doesn't really matter. It's multicolored. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that you can play Coma when Hullbreaker Horror is the big blue threat. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, Strixhaven has so many multicolored cards, but all of them are like pretty really bad. bad. <laughs> yeah. Like there's expressive iteration and the rest of them are like, what are what are we doing, guys? <laughs> the demon thing, the one that's cheaper when you sacrifice creatures and is on the backside of like a black white card. Oh, uh, the Blood Avatar, whatever it's called. Yeah, and it's like Awaken the Blood Avatar. Yeah. It's BR. It's a black and red three six. Whenever with haste, and whenever it attacks, it deals three damage to each opponent. It's an eight mana card that costs two less for each creature you sacrifice when you're casting a spell. I mean, I, I, I think I'm that card is really... too small and too yeah. expensive. Yeah, I think so. Like too. it's the classic Strixhaven problem, where like it's a cool idea. It is a cool idea. And if it were like that Dominaria 7-7 or whatever, Torgar, I think his name was. Yes. Like yeah. Maybe we could do something with that, but but Blood Avatar, nah. Yeah. Yeah, probably just not quite there. I mean, we do have some like reasonable fodder to sacrifice to it in like iTwitch, Shambling Ghast, 
and what yeah but you like need so much fodder to make this cheap and it's not that good of a payoff which i, <laughs> I think know. is like the, the the death knell like you sacrifice uh three things to make this cost two mana and you're rewarded with a three six that does three damage when it attacks so it's well, kind of like you do get an edict out of it too so do you oh yes you do get an edict i completely skipped over that so you know that's less good against like mono white but pretty good against mono green and some of the mid-range decks but yes probably not good enough it just requires mm-hmm. a lot of setup and sigarda sigarda is a gold threat oh sigarda kind of hot yeah goes in the katilda deck <laughs> Uh yeah, Sigarda's a Sigarda's a big lady. I have seen Barutena play Xanathar, which is the legendary blue black beholder oh, that basically yes. doesn't do anything. <laughs> well, it locks them out, but you know during your turn. Well, yeah. but you get to like fate seal them basically. Like if they were gonna draw something that is good, you get to play it on your turn. If it doesn't do anything, you just don't play it and you let them draw it. So okay, yeah. The, like that's that's the point of that like i was on the other side of the table of that card and limited once or twice and it didn't feel good because that's what happened yeah that's kind of it there's basically no other gold cards worth considering xanathar is a little bit sweet but again okay. you know that's just in the Holebreaker horror <laughs> slot there's right? so many good cards in the blue and black decks yeah without resorting to right six right. mana five six and it i think like anything sejmar which is just reasonably just like quite an impressive card and and very yeah. reasonably placed right now and it's like, quite good and, and you have leer as well yeah right like exactly and leer is so good against the creature decks and then just completely acceptable as your like punish payoff thing in some some blue matchups that yeah the cards that people are playing kind of cover the bases in the blue decks i'm not super concerned with figuring out the blue decks because like most of them are pretty good and you can't go super wrong okay so now that we're done with uh multicolor threats what what else is on your list so what did i say multicolor threats and meat hook massacre are really good sejimore which is really good i do love vanishing verse I, do, I think it's the best removal spell right now and so you know tough mana cost but it's just it, it hits that intersection of good against the aggro decks and good against a lot of the big threats out of the mid-range and control decks that you know it, it's it's kind of like when the blue white decks in dominaria standard were really good but if you just played some removal spells for teferi hero of dominaria then you like expose that the decks actually weren't that good it was just that teferi was really really teferi good it was so strong yeah the blue red decks have good cards in them certainly like a lot of good cards expressive iteration foremost among those so the effect is less than when you killed their teferis but the resources that go into casting a hullbreaker horror are pretty extreme so if you undo that then you kind of undo the game plan in a pretty significant way i am not super huge even though there are a lot of like mid-rangey matchups going on right now a lot of these mid-rangey decks are really good at grinding in like very fancy ways that Blood on the Snow is just not quite at the level that I want to be at. Like number one, it's very bad against the blue decks generally. And then even against like, you know, it's it's very good against mono green and mono white when you get to that point of the game. Sometimes it's a little too expensive to get to. Uh, against some of these grindy decks like I played against some blood on the snow decks as the clerics deck and just kind of didn't care about it at all. Does aura work like with wrath of God? 
I didn't actually read the card. Yeah, if you get Wrath, you just get a board back, basically. You get everything back, yeah. Okay. yeah. So you just can't Wrath when Aura's in play. Yeah. And actually, like, so so the biggest weakness of the Cleric's deck is you have a limited number of Auras, and, like, you can never get them back out of your graveyard, and so sometimes it becomes very difficult to rebuild, even with, like, a Pyre, if your opponent does a good job of managing, like, which creatures are in your graveyard at what time. Uh, also, I played against, so I don't think this deck was good, but my opponent's draws were good enough to make it look impressive, but there were certain good things going on. Uh, I played against a blue-green Delver deck that had Dragon's Guard Elite, and okay. which just like, somehow they managed to immediately scale to like a 10-10 every game. <laughs> but I don't think that's like very normal. What they did have was Cemetery Illuminator. That was a big problem for me because I was doing graveyard stuff and it was simultaneously like graveyard hate, a threat in the air, and then card advantage. Like if I couldn't kill it, it just did a lot. And just like it dodges like a reasonable amount of the cheap removal. So it's a two, three flyer. So you have to use like kind of a real removal spell against it. Uh, you know, it doesn't add a portable hole or spike field hazard or a shock effect. And so I, I think that card might be okay, actually. It's can you play lands with that card? No, you cannot. You can't play lands. <laughs> it does not okay. let you. Cast a spell from okay, yeah. You cannot play lands with Cemetery Illuminator. But you know, their deck was so instant heavy that they put an instant under it, and then that was kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, I they could have whatever, even if I duress them, I wouldn't know what they had. Um, they were taking my creatures because my creatures in the graveyard were good. And then once there was a creature under it and an instant under it, it was, you know, if there was a spell on top of their library, they would get to cast it. Yeah, I don't think green adds a ton other than Dragon Guard Elite. I think Snakeskin Veil is probably the biggest add, but... Yeah, that's that's a card you play because it's good and you're in green, I think, but not mm-hmm. like a... I've got to be in green for this. I, being in two colors and having no real removal is, like, really not my favorite thing in the world yeah i also it's just so easy to be red and play express federation yeah <laughs> I, I i don't really know why you wouldn't do that I'm, I'm i'm gonna try to stay away from delver as long as possible yeah i mean i don't delver was like the worst creature that they played all of like both matches the my takeaway from it was that in a disruptive enough deck especially one that just like has enough fading hopes and ways obnoxious ways to buy time cemetery illuminator did impress me so that may be something to look into as well uh if you are able to make your deck like annoying enough that the mid-range decks don't get to leverage their grindy stuff against you if that stuff ever comes online obviously that becomes hard to beat but if you do have the cheap counter spells and they also just like people keep managing to run like a ton of syncopates in their deck which I don't really I feel like it's a weird like artifact of early on in the format that people are just like putting the new counter spell into their deck as like a four of and not running into all of the spots where it's bad all the time. But uh, I do keep running into lots of syncopates right now. This is a very treasure heavy format for trying to sync. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> like I don't I don't mind wash away. I think that's a fine cancel if you want to do that. Mm-hmm. But not a huge on. It's probably okay in small numbers. But, you know, I had a game where my opponent just, like, syncopated me three times, and I was like, I don't... 
I, I really don't want to be over there playing that deck. That doesn't sound very fun to me. <laughs> I don't know. Anything else that we should talk about? For standard? Uh, I don't I don't think so. We're okay. we're mostly in the early stages of this format. Like people are still trying to figure out their brews versus basically mono green and mono white haven't changed all that much and they've gotten better mm -hmm. so that's like like a little big of a, a little too tall of a hurdle to just clear completely in the first week yeah uh so i'm actually kind of glad we get to see like more clerics and the weird aristocrats deck and some of the more treasury focused builds mm -hmm. like that, it's neat that people are trying that stuff out because it's not hard it's not easy to like run up against that faceless haven wall and see how how your deck can survive <laughs> against it yeah and i think there is a reason that the brews that we've seen are specifically ones that really want to play against the creature decks you know it's we're not seeing the like kind of medium board controlling decks that have to be tuned just right to not die to faceless havens like we're seeing the ones that just like eat creature decks alive yeah, they're trying to do their own thing. Like the Cleric's deck, Righteous Valkyrie or Spirit of the Blessed. I, I'm just going to keep accruing value unless you stop me. Yes. And no, like, you are you can get counters with your Luminarch Aspirants, but I'm going to outrace that via my life gain. And, you know, I'm just naturally strong against what you're trying to do. And it doesn't require, like, a specific choice of my removal suite and aggressive mulliganing. It's like, I really just don't care what you do. I'm going to beat you with my creatures that are better at keeping me alive than your creatures are at killing me. So there's definitely a reason for the specific brews that we've seen so far. And it's because they're good against mono green and mono white. And I think for right now, playing in tournaments and stuff, being good against mono green and mono white is a really safe starting point to be at. Yeah, especially since I think the Isid decks are more... They're, they're still evolving. Mm -hmm. Like, no one's really sure. And I'm not even sure if it's a card available problem or not. But, like, there are some Epiphany decks in these standard challenges. And there are also some Blue-Red decks that have zero Epiphanies. Because Holebreaker Horror mm -hmm. is the thing to do. And I don't know if people are still figuring that out. Like, how many Epiphanies do you get to play versus Holebreaker Horrors? What spots are they good or bad in? Or if they're just, like ditched holebreaker horror entirely now they're trying to figure out how to build their deck around it that's another step yeah i will say playing kane's holebreaker horror deck against what felt like you know an older epiphany deck or two it just felt completely unfair you know i i just sure. like didn't for a second feel like i could lose the game as long as we were both making land drops yeah that, that makes sense and i wonder if i mean if holebreaker horror is the way the red deck the blue red decks are going to go i I'm not confident the decks that, as they're built now, are actually strong enough to really compete with mm -hmm. all the other stuff. Like, I, one of them did win the standard challenge, so I'll give it that. Yeah. Like, a full Hole Breaker Horror deck did win the standard challenge on Sunday. But these other decks get to adapt, and I don't think the introduction of Thalia does a lot of favors for, you know, a deck with 31 spells in it. No, absolutely not. I mean, I would much rather be... You know, not that this is a huge fundamental difference, but I would lean towards being a three Lear, three Hullbreaker horror deck more than a like two Lear, four Hullbreaker horror deck right now. Sure. I, and I, I like Lear a lot. I think she's fantastic. And also one of the cards I think really props up blue decks. I would like to see more people like kind of lean into it the way that people the Invitational did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I wonder if there is a... This is too much. This is very stupid. 
I wonder if there's a Leer blood on the snow deck to be found. All right, we uh, we should wrap the podcast now. <laughs> we've we've been gone on for too long. I cannot entertain this brew. <laughs> I did play against a blue black Hullbreaker horror. So this this was actually kind of hot, and I I think maybe like Brian G tweeted about this or something. Uh, but I played against it was like the sacrifice core, you know, just the general sacrifice core that we've seen that makes a lot of treasures due to shambling ghast and deadly dispute is the name of that card uh but the thing that it was using its mana on was hullbreaker horror and that's kind of sweet because you actually have like a pretty decent number of spells in your deck with deadly disputes and uh village rights and and stuff like that and so you have easy cheap ways to keep triggering your hullbreaker horror and so there was something there that opponent also Played a lot of syncopates, which didn't make any sense to me in the like sacrifice context. Core. But yeah, do they do they have Sedgemore Witch as well? N- no, but you could if you are spell heavy enough. I think that's probably something you could do. Yeah, you don't have to go like four. You can play around with numbers. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting idea. I do like like a different angle to attack with a full breaker horror decks, like as a huge top end for a yeah basically creature heavy. Eh, creature generating heavy deck mm-hmm. rather than like the only flagship card that holds up your entire deck like right decks. <laughs> and i think you fit like divide by zero feels like it makes a lot more sense in that deck than syncopate to me especially because you got to have lessons in your sideboard for your eye twitches anyways so right yeah there, there's something there that i'm a little bit about but would require some investigation i love that we're still living in the world where i twitch is like the second best one drop we have access to <laughs> yeah it does not block as many of the one dro- you know it, it doesn't block the one two training it's it's not good at, it doesn't trade for it the way that it trades for two ones so it feels a little hopeful bit worse initiate, yeah hopeful initiate yeah shambling gas is definitely number one That's uh, yeah of course the best one drop I remember Hopeful Initiate's name because it's just so weird. Uh, that card's flavoring. It's a human warlock. I know. It has training, by, which means it has to attack. So it's like not doing the spell cast thing. So it's it's just very weird flavoring to me. I do have to. I do know that it's a warlock because I have to check it every time that I cast Crippling Fear to make sure that I'm not like leaving it alive. That's funny. Because <laughs> it, it feels like it looks like it should be a cleric, too which is particularly like scary for the cleric yeah, it's deck. A, it's, a, it's a dude surrounded by a bunch of candles. Like, yes. What's a more cleric thing than that? Well, I guess the like context of the candles is, you know, are these like vigil candles or are these like... Sinister s- candles. Sinister candles. <laughs> <laughs> They're hopeful candles. Yeah, apparently. But Warlock. I guess the Warlock is like their catch-all like hedge mage sort of thing don't they have witch as a creature type too though oh no sedgemore witch is a warlock all witches are warlocks aren't they is is what it is now i guess some of these are just like totally different things i don't think witch is a creature type though okay so it's just warlock warlocks are the the shady wizards i don't even know how to describe them like you have to go to school to be a wizard but to be a warlock you just have to learn some magic yes yeah I think that that is kind of what it is. I am thinking of uh, this novel Uprooted where a a young girl goes and like trains with a wizard, but is very bad at the magic he's teaching her. But that's because she is more 
of an intuitive spellcaster and she's once she finds like a book written by a witch about like casting witch magic then she becomes much better at magic so you know maybe that's the kind of the distinction there maybe the wizards just like creative team uses uprooted as their like example of how to creature type things they could do worse that book is really good and that like (laughs) distinction in the book was very compelling and like made the character stand out a lot so you know maybe hopefully that's probably about it for talking about standard right now i'm having fun with it so far i think this has the makings of potentially a very good format so i am optimistic i am also optimistic i don't think i wasn't very optimistic at the previous mm-hmm. with Enestrad. i mean i kind of was because i i expect a lot from Enestrad to help prop <laughs> up a format just based on like the history of the mechanics it, that we see in Enestrad sets mm-hmm. which didn't really happen for the first set but there's so many not like standout cards but just cards that work in mm-hmm. a lot of different situations which is what typically leads to good standard formats yeah which is honestly why ravnica tends to have a lot of good standard formats is because there's no theme to ravnica sets it's just like here's a bunch of mid-range gold cards go crazy <laughs> yeah and specifically like the important cards that we got from this new set are a one drop for the green aggro deck a one drop for the white aggro deck and a pearl lake ancient which what that basically does is forces blue decks to cannibalize themselves to be good against each other. So these are all things that fundamentally like take the blue decks and say, calm down. Like you, like you're not going to be quite the standout in this format that you were in the previous format. There's good aggressive cards and you have to make, you have to do specific things to be good in the mirrors that aren't that good in other spots. And, And blue decks themselves are torn between doing like, like, do you want to do Leer stuff? Do you want to do Holebreaker Horror things? Are these the same decks? How mm-hmm. do you want to build them? What colors do you want to be? Are you express like, it, And that's just blue decks. I think there's like a lot of cool pieces yep. that lead to good standard formats. And I like the way they've designed the last two sets far more than anything basically from Throne of Eldraine to Strixhaven, mm-hmm. I guess, which all have their own like really separate problems. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. It's a whole new world out there. Now, now I'm just like really looking forward to coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think I'd get here, but I guess here we are. No, I'm feeling good about stuff, so it should be exciting. But for now, we got to play with these Innistrad cards. Which are still fun, so yep. deal. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can find us on social media. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much and have a great week. Bye-bye.